0: From a bunker in beautiful of the bronx it's electoral dysfunction now here is your host tom brennan
1: hey everyone welcome back to electoral dysfunction the show where comedians and experts debate the news of the week from the safety of their quarantines and yeah like we're kind of past the quarantine phase of this ongoing pandemic but Uh, I think we're still emotionally in a quarantine, so I'm going to keep saying it. Uh, And uh, usually here at the top of the show, we'll have a special guest like uh, Newsboy Phil or like, you know, a werewolf or something really serious like that. But there's too much news. Too much is going on. Too much is happening in the world for us to waste any time with bits or tangents or characters or any of that stuff. We have to get to it and get to it right now and get to it. We will. As of right now starting right now getting to it uh so without further ado uh please join me in welcoming this week's panel first up very excited to have this gentleman with us he is a missouri based assistant professor of media studies uh coming to us from the midwest dorian davis dorian
0: how are you i'm doing great i'm excited to be here thanks so much for having me
1: excellent no no dithering with you great job let's move this along on to the next person very funny comedian Coming to us from Parts Unknown in Brooklyn, Megan O'Malley's back. Hey, Megan, how are you?
2: Hey, Tom. Thanks for having me.
1: Excellent. Man, I love this. We're just moving along, getting right down to business. Uh, a political strategist and gun violence prevention advocate, Alexis Comper's back. Hey, Alexis, how are you?
3: Doing great, Tom. excited for all this news.
1: Excellent. Always on message. And of course, from Bloomberg Opinion, uh, he is the apotheosis of cool in some circles, Robert George.
4: Um, good good, good, good afternoon here, Tom. I'm very glad to be here. Uh, thank you for having me. It's wonderful. What a fantastic group we're having here. I'm glad to see that the show is going on really, really quickly. Nice and, job. Uh, <laughs>
1: no dithering. Very good. Excellent work. We did it for once. Uh, and with that in mind, let's get into the, the news of the week. Uh, so right off the bat, this is you know we've been covering this this uh this mar-a-lago story for a while uh and yesterday the justice department i believe <laughs> um released the uh released uh, the affidavit first of all if you like uh documents where 90 percent of it is redacted this affidavit was the document for you i never it was like a close-up on a zebra's ass i loved it um <laughs> but uh, it did reveal a little bit into the motivation behind the, the, the FBI raid on Mar-a-Lago earlier this month. I can't believe that was earlier this month. <laughs> Feels like it was six years ago. Um, and part of the background on, we got a little background into what why this raid happened and some justification for probable cause. Uh, and the, at the heart of this is in January, 2022, uh, the, the, president, the former president of the United States, who of course was Donald John Trump, uh, returned to the National Archives uh, all, 15 boxes worth of documents, and uh, that included 184 classified documents. 92 of these were labeled secret, 25 were labeled top secret, <laughs> I'm curious, which makes me very curious about the difference between secret and top secret, but I'll save that for another time. Uh, and these uh, the National Archives reported to the Justice Department of the FBI that uh, the these files, these secret and classified documents were unfolded, intermixed within other documents uh, uh, like not identified as such. And uh, as we discussed two weeks back on this show, apparently, if you need a facility to store top secret documents, a Florida resort club is not apparently uh, an ideal one for the FBI standing. So let's talk a little bit about who knew, who knew? <laughs> not a secure location at all, which is crazy. Because again, uh, as we talked about a few weeks back, every Wednesday there's a seafood night out by the patio at Mar-a-Lago, and if look, you can't get into that without a certain amount of money. I don't understand what's top secret about. So agents believe that that there was also evidence of obstruction. So let's talk a little bit. Uh, and we'll, we'll kick it off to to Alexis. I'm gonna start with you, ha uh, Thoughts on on watching this all go down from Mar-a-Lago, which by the way is, I have to say, like we dump on Florida a lot, but there's much nicer resorts <laughs> in Florida than Mar-a-Lago. The place is kind of ugly. Anyway, Alexis. I
3: mean, that's my understanding. Um, yeah, I mean, I didn't find it shocking that a twice impeached president thought this was appropriate behavior. Um, You know, I I think the the willfulness of people to hide this within a mediocre hotel establishment is is what's very triggering to me. Um, Yeah, not surprised by this at all. I think that it plays out in this great home run of a story that Donald Trump is trying to do of being the greatest showman in, in, you know, the history of the country. Um, I don't know why I continue to feel shocked when I see people still kind of react in ways that this is not a big deal, this is not significant. Uh, particularly with how much uh, Trump talked about propping up, you know, making the FBI stronger and supporting uh, police and supporting law enforcement um, officials. So quickly, his base will turn on those communities that they said that they supported for years and now attack the FBI as a pawn of the um, the president. So not surprised. Um, it's amazing that he continues to kind of handle this communications uh, dialogue and keep people sticking with his talking points after so many years of showing this. And like quite frankly, it's treasonous behavior. Um, and we're all so overwhelmed by the amount of <laughs> work, work that he's put into destroying our country that I think it's words like traitor and treason don't get thrown around a ton. But this would have been 10 times any treasonous behavior that any president's ever done when you're planning to sell documents off to foreign governments, or even just having them in the you know, coat check room of your overpriced hotel. To be fair um, we
1: don't know my question is quickly say to be fair we don't know that he was definitely planning to sell them but you know uh, he fits the description I think is a fair <laughs> way to describe Donald and, Trump
4: well and I also have to I also have to ask uh, I, I agree almost everything that Alexis said but when she said what she says you know uh, this is like ten times the worst of treasonous behavior of any other president. Um, if you're multiplying by zero, is, can you really get get a number? <laughs> <laughs> I mean, Richard Nixon. Richard Nixon was bad, but he was pretty much, you know, yeah, he was pretty much a patriot. I, mean, I don't think he he didn't sell the country out to like you know the Vietnamese or anything like that.
1: <laughs> so I, I need mean, to be comfortable saying that Andrew Johnson was at a two on treasonous behavior. Oh, uh, yeah,
4: okay, yeah, <laughs> uh, fair point. The war was point. over,
1: so that's your and, and, anyway.
4: And uh, Will, and uh, what's, Woodrow Wilson had some, you know, you know, g- you know, giving giving the um. You know, letting the letting the clan come into the White House is uh, a little bit uh, sketchy. So you got got a point there. So maybe there's ten times as much.
1: And so. of course, famously, uh, James Buchanan was a Russian citizen. Anyway, um, let's. I just. I, so it is not. I think an important context to put here. It's not unusual that when a president leaves the White House, they bring a whole bunch of documents with them, and then comb through it. And over the course of that year, go. Oh, these are these should not be with me. It'll go back. Uh, the unusual part is that so many of what was found and sent back were like really sensitive information, including identities of spies, identities of like, se- you know, like secret, uh, a lot of stuff that, put it this way, like most of us wouldn't bring home from the office.
4: <laughs> yeah, I want to be clear here. I don't think it's necessarily, um, I don't think it's necessarily identities of spies, but basically the information that um, we have spies in. Uh, X country or right. they may station over uh, in, in in Y region and things like that and some uh, where that is and where certain intelligence is coming um, is coming from which however if you are a very uh, smart um, uh, enemy or opponent of the United States um, it would be it would give you um, certain d- distinct clues as to where uh, some of our spies might be, so I just want to make yeah,
1: that—that's—that's that's fair. Yeah, it's, it's it's a document that says, "Hey, there's definitely a spy in this town in Russia." Here's the names of all 600 people who it's not. Yeah, <laughs> that <kind of> stuff. <laughs> uh,
3: it's a one person town.
1: Yeah, exactly. Um, uh, Dorian, from where you, from where you sit, the your your thoughts on on. Uh, on the ongoing good news for former president Donald Trump. And look, he's just taking some papers home from work, man.
0: Yeah, I agree with Alexis that he's a traitor for at least the reason that he tried to overthrow the duly elected government. Now on this Mar-a-Lago thing, I'm open to the possibility that it's gross negligence, that it's not a nefarious plot to sell our secrets to a foreign government. But from what I understand of the law, gross negligence would also be a crime. Uh, That was part of the Hillary Clinton's emails imbroglio. So either way, there's a possibility of some legal liability there. And either way, someone at Mar-a-Lago seems to have misled the Justice Department or, or the Records Archive either intentionally or not.
1: Yeah, no, definitely. He, to be fair to the pres- former president, he also fits the description of someone who would commit gross negligence. It is completely... <laughs> he does. By- it is 100% believable that, like, he used that spy info as a bookmark <laughs> and put that well, book into well, the we, boxes we, we and actually brought learned,
4: We actually learned from... Um, uh, one of the things we did learn from the affidavit that wasn't, you know, blocked out um, was that... Um, uh, he's one of those guys that you know uh, sketches notes in the margins, and so you've got these um, you've got these sensitive you've got these sensitive documents, and he's scribbling he's scribbling the margins on oh I don't know uh, but maybe may, maybe the honeydew list that uh, Melania gave him or something. I mean it, it's it's clear he doesn't have exactly respect yeah. for um, uh, sensitive um, s- sensitive material.
1: Just nothing but drawings of penises next to the name Mitch McConnell every time. <laughs> well, you know those.
4: You, you, you know that nice little drawing he did on the map when he, when he, when the hurricane was coming. Oh yeah, when, when he it, added like, the stretch wave. It, yeah. stretch, stretch it into uh, stretch, stretch it into uh, Alabama or something. You know doodles doodles like that. Doodles by Donald.
1: Boy, that was a much more fun presidency. I can't deny it. Uh, Megan O'Malley, uh, your thoughts on on Mar-a-Lago, uh, the the White House by the sea.
2: I mean, it's not surprising. None of this is surprising that he would do it. But uh, in defense of the gross negligence, they've been trying to get these documents back for over a year. So at this point, you can't say that it's gross negligence. He was he was stalling. He was stalling time. And um, yeah, like now what's going to happen? You know, it's I, I can't make a poster. And go protest right now. <laughs> you know, I'm. I've done this way too many times. Um, so I, I just want to see action.
1: Yeah. yeah, it's and that's again getting back to like what this could be. It could, as uh, you know, feasibly again. Uh, more than plausible that the pre- former president didn't return these. He was stalling for time and perhaps stalling for time for something, again, unrelated to selling our secrets out to Russia. It could be like, oh man, that's the document where I admitted all of my crimes, uh, my crime journal. But again, it's just never good when your former president, when like everyone's like, oh, he could be, uh, you know compromised foreign asset and everyone's like, yeah, that's possible. Okay. <laughs> like, we're like, it's completely plausible. This is never a good thing. Never a good thing.
3: Well, uh, I, I think with the rise in extremism extremism as like the Republicans are going further and further to the right. Um, I think there has to be some process to to Megan's point coming out of this too. Like what are the next steps? So like yes, I want to know the next steps for Donald Trump, but I also want to know the next steps for like protecting our democracy moving forward. Like let's say we have another megalomaniac in the White House. Like how are we protecting some of these processes. Like in the Trump administration, we saw him putting countless family members into positions of power positions, having his foreign assets and business still a flow, even though it's a conflict of interest. I mean, Tom, like you work for a city government, I worked for a government, things like that. When you leave any job, your emails are a property of the job. Your files are a property of the job. I can't carry things from nonprofits I've worked out of government. So the fact that a president who just kind of didn't agree with the system was able to just flout all these rules that had been kind of like a human handshake over time that people would, uh, and I'm sure studying legal documentation too, like a, a, you know NDA and things like that. And so the fact that they were able to flout this and it's kind of like, we've had to rely on slow legal practices to get this moving. is deeply concerning. And the fact that it took a year to get these documents back is also deeply concerning. Is that our best levers that we have, um, God forbid something had happened with this and people's lives were compromised. So. I, I want to see what's going to happen to Donald Trump, but I also want to see what's going to happen for the future, so that if we have another fascist um, dictator light come in to be our president, that we're able to handle this.
1: Yeah, is, I mean, I want most... to quickly just jump on it. Like that was a frustrating. First of all, Alexis, thank you for for perstain that it's a city government and not narrowing it down to which one. Um, look, there's a lot <laughs> of them in America. Uh, but no, like, I agree, like, that is a thing that can be kind of frustrating for me, people like to hear that people talk about the politics of it. Like, oh, yeah, but people do that all the time. Like, again, people do that all the time, perhaps in the private sector and in other sectors. But like, there are a lot of, you know, government for all its flaws, like, and for its foibles, and, uh, you know, I'm not saying everything's perfect, but most people who work in, in, in civil service or in government, like, there's a lot of strict rules you have to follow to exit the job. And it is frustrating to, and like, the kind of rules that like, if, uh, you know, you screw up, it's not just like the HR departments, like, hey, you shouldn't have done that, like, you might actually face legal action, even for like a mistake. And it is frustrating to see people be like, oh, come on it's like, I don't know, he's far more important, was far more important to the federal government than I certainly am to whatever government I may have worked for, <laughs> in the past or present. Uh, and, you know, like, there should be a higher standard uh, than just like, no, oh, what do you want? Oh, he, he just had the knock list uh, in between a couple of books he wanted to take and a painting of George Washington that he swiped. Come on, what's the big deal? Robert, you were making a point and I interrupted
4: you. Um. Yes, you were making. Yes, I. Yes, I was making. Uh, I was making. Yeah. No. The, the point I was going to make was uh, how um, you know f- uh, frustrating uh, it is uh, to hear uh, the former president's uh, defenders, you know, talk about uh, you know you know being like the dutiful lapdogs that they are. Um, Picking up his talk about, you know, this unprecedented nature of the FBI raiding a former former president's um, residence when um, it it was so clear that uh, the National Archives and then followed up by the Department of Justice bent over backwards in terms of their communication with him to explain that he had these materials that that were the property of the united states government and that they, they were not that they were not his i mean uh, as alexa said you know this congress this conversation um basically started back in in may of um may of 2021 when the national archives realized that there were like these major things like you know like mm-hmm. the uh like the letters, like the letters that um, um, uh, 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 North Carol, North Korea um, Kim Jong um, d- d- um, had had sent had sent him, and these other le- these other letters that he had boasted about publicly receiving, and these you know, the, these are classic historical documents. Um, that belong to the United States. They do not belong to um, the pre- the person who was the president at the um, at the particular time. And, and and we see this in the context of the affidavit where they they're spelling they're spelling these things out. And we also saw these other documents where the um, where where Trump's lawyers um, explain. Oh yes, we do have these documents. Yes, they they do belong to you. We will we'll, we're working to process these kind of things. And 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 then, so after all of this, and the Department of Justice sending officials down to uh, Mar-a-Lago um, in June to try and once again negotiate with the um with the former with the former, pre- with the former president, and you know they 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 give they give up some, but they still held, they still they still held back, and. When the affidavit was released yesterday, uh, the the former president sends out this. Uh, yeah, how you know how how dare they how dare they do this? Um, we gave them we gave them so much. It's like oh you know uh, I I I'm stealing I'm stealing stuff from your house and then you say wait give that back to me and you give back only about a third of what you, what you took in the first place. It's yeah. absolutely ridiculous.
1: Uh, Dorian, you look like you were about to respond to that, so I'm going to throw it to you, even if you want. You
0: read my mind, because my (laughs) mouth hadn't even opened. But speaking of frustration one thing I find so frustrating about this is the lack of accountability among Trump's base and among some elected Republicans because when Nixon was involved in Watergate you didn't have Republicans out there saying well he was right to cover it up but that's basically what you have now oh what's the big deal it's just some documents uh why hold him accountable for that and it's such a 360 or one I'm not good at math. It's one of the two (laughs) from how they handled the Hillary Clinton email scandal, which was just the worst thing in the world. And there were all those locker up chants. And there's no logical consistency between the response to that and the response to this other than this partisan tribalism that I think is really bad for the future of democracy.
1: I think you're right. I will say, like, I think you know, because the, the email stuff came up in the height of an election, uh, you know, you had a lot of people at the time who would sort of refer to the Clinton emails as like no big deal. And I do think, I think to be fair, like looking back at it, a lot of people who, even those of us who supported her for, for president would say like, I don't think that it was disqualifying, but like, yeah, she probably should have handled that better <laughs> like, and differently. Uh, and I think a lot of people agree with that. And like, that is the, what is fresh, like what what is a stark chasm between that it's like you should have handled that differently and like come on man he was the president maybe he wanted to sell us out to russia maybe the deal was good stop and think about that russia's pretty good i'm like i support everything he does is this pushback on it and it is it is uh it is a staggering thing yeah exactly to see the like like, nah, what's the big deal? All he did was have our secrets again next to, uh, like, the two for one Sunday buffet at uh, at Mar-a-Lago. Uh, I'm just kidding. Rich people don't have two for one buffets.
3: Yeah,
0: there's uh, no discounts. there. Well, go
1: They're
4: called two for one. They're called two for one homes, Tom. You know, like right. you know. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Good point.
1: Good point. <laughs> name it like yeah,
4: like Name yeah, like yeah. it Oz. He's got a two for one two two for one uh, homes. You know, one is the United States, one is Turkey, you know, that kind of thing.
1: (laughs) Alexis, go ahead.
3: (laughs) I I was going to say, this is a concerning trend we're seeing, uh, to Dorian's point of this kind of like my team must win mentality. I really feel like I I, I don't watch football personally, but like the mentality around like a Super Bowl, for example, where it's like my team must win, I will bleed for this team. It's it's really creeping into our politics in a sense of like, there used to be this sense of like, if you're an American, you support the American institutions. You, su- you support, not the institution, but you support the ideals of democracy and not the individual person who's president, but that they're a, serv- a service, a public servant for all of us in this democracy. And now it's very much getting behind your team or your candidates. So in this case, this galvanizing cult of personality that Trump has had for all these years, like, well, my guy has to, you know, he, he is the leader of our party now, as opposed to being loyal to like, the the patriotism of america which you know i I think everyone has their own journey with patriotism and how they feel but it's very interesting that the republican party is often talked about how they're such patriots how they're loyal to the flag and all this type of behavior is rallying around someone who wasn't even even republican until he ran for office years ago let's not forget that he was a bundler for democratic candidates so and and ran many failed businesses etc um but so by going behind this guy it's like it's the undercutting of the republican party um but it also shows this cult of personality that plays out online of like, do I want to lose my credibility on Twitter if I'm Marjorie Taylor Green and go against, you know, my guy who I like to party with Amara Lar- Largo? So we're seeing this wanting to keep in the celebrity piece. We're seeing the people want to keep their, their team winning um, at the expense of people's lives, our democratic institutions, um, people being able to even get basic services for being part of our country. And so I I find it very scary. I find it very scary how one bombastic personality can have people follow so blindly.
1: I uh, I forgot he was a Democratic bundler. Now I'm now I'm immediately like well like now now i'm going to do the justification of tribalism i'd say he was a bundler for anyone who was an elected uh, official in a place where he owned real estate
4: <laughs> and he also tried to get he also tried to get he also tried to get the um uh, the reform party uh, nomination in, in in 2000 as well i mean he's he's been uh, he's been all over the map um, in his in, uh, in his in his career and princi- principle is not exactly uh you know his uh, defining trait
1: and the rule of the patron say to this show, Thomas F Brennan, my father, we can always blame former mayor Abe Beam, that bastard for giving uh, Trump sweetheart real estate deals back in the 70s. <laughs> uh, before we go move on, I just wanna, Megan, I'm curious your thoughts on this uh and uh for nothing other than i want to say this this thought that occurred to me i'm just curious what the difference between top secret and secret is uh (laughs) and it immediately makes me think i've worked in enough offices that i'm certain like someone let a secret document out and some boss was like fine all right here's a new rule that's all top secret now (laughs) just like they changed the logo for that
2: yeah there was there's definitely something that happened that that got worse. And everyone's like, okay, well, now we got to have now we have to have two yeah. specifications. <laughs> and, you know, there's room for a top, top secret. You know, we can just keep <laughs> adding more, which is kind of cool for us in evolution of being horrible people. Um, but Tom, I also want to note that like, as much as I think that number 45 is a complete idiot, as much as I think that he also is smart and he knows what he's doing. This is all strategic. A lot of the stuff, if like if you come from film and television background, you're a writer, this is all this is all writing. You're, you're just it's it's actually really messed up when you start looking at it, like looking back and you're like, oh, there's an arc there. Oh man, he's real messed up. Now in this scenario, if we were watching the show, uh, they just came, the officials come to him and they say, Hey, you can either turn yourself in or we're gonna come and we're gonna put you in the hand. And he called their bluff and they came in and they did what they got to do because he's not going to admit to anything. He's not going to hand anything over. And by this happening, he can help his fan base because again, like they, yeah, they look at him as like, oh man, like he's there for us. He's the leader. How can they take this person down? Um, There's no way he could have handed it over. He had to go this route because it's, this is the worst show that we've all, been a part of and i just i wish it
1: would end well and of course the always like the the you're absolutely right he goes to his fan they get excited and then what do they do they send money for the legal defense they love it,
3: they
1: love yeah. it. Yeah. all right and with that speaking in mind legal,
3: speaking of legal prosecution i just want to say tish james is a freaking hero how <laughs> she's continued like our attorney general very yeah. proud of work very proud of our attorney general like holding holding feet to the fire um on guns on this with trump really we'll see
1: hopefully hopefully uh it will lead to some concrete uh action really i just like i would completely trade off like i would be like cool he doesn't have to go to jail it's like he doesn't have to do any time and in turn he's just gonna go to an island and be there and have no contact with the outside world again he could even be rich on that island (laughs) he'll just never come back i take it uh let's move on to the next big story of the week uh student loans uh, huge, huge policy out of the White House from uh, current President of the United States, who of course is Joe Biden, uh, as of this recording. <laughs> um, <clears throat> you know, like news changes real quick, they're old. Uh, uh, introduced a, a new set of policies on student loan uh, forgiveness and changing policies of how we handle student loans. So the, the top lines, of course, the 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 sexiest news. in forgiveness for any borrower making less than $125,000 per year or any household making less than $250,000 per year, uh, which is a broad swath of students and kind of goes from, you know, and also is a, uh, includes who I think would now be defined as middle class, particularly depending on the cost of living in that state. Uh, and uh, an additional 10,000 forgiven for any Pell Grant recipients. Now a little background, Pell Grant recipients are students usually from the lowest income households. They normally come from households. I believe they have to come from households making less than $30,000 a year. So that's 60% of student loan borrowers. Now, uh, the current student loan debt situation in the United States is uh, over a trillion dollars owed. <laughs> um, it is, I believe, it's, as I, uh, the, the second highest, uh, I believe, behind mortgages in terms of uh, money people owe. So uh, I think that's fair to call that a crisis. Uh, and this new, this new uh, policy from the White House uh, in addition to that, it also will end the pause on student on payments of student loans. which started under the Trump administration. Will end January first. Uh, cap monthly payments at five percent of discretionary income. It's currently around ten percent. And uh, if you make your fully if you make your full monthly payment, the the goal is for the government to pay the interest on that. Uh, so that's a huge huge bunch of stuff. Uh, it was, I think, one of those situations where Joe Biden delivered. Uh, more than what the left expected. So I feel like even my friends who loathe Joe Biden are like, oh, all right, (laughs) I'll take it. Uh, And of course, any amount of money going to people who are not uh, currently, members of the Trump family are going to make the right wing upset. So, uh, a, a split reaction is how the news is covering it. But let's talk about this. This is so I think the, like going back to to the basics here. Uh, student loan uh, debt, like I think it's fair to call this a crisis that we've kind of ignored forever. <laughs> uh, you know, I was talking with like, and even like within the last few years, I was talking with a family member of mine who like the most her uh, her interest rates ever got was four point seven five percent, which is pretty big. Uh, and, you know, she's working with younger people to whom it is 9%, and it's just like, you know, like, how do you even get out of that? It's not going to happen. It's, it's basically creating a, you know, the, we've been in a system where basically created a payment you'd have to make for the rest of your life. Uh, Dorian, you are with students. Let's start with you. Thoughts on this new policy and, in general, on the, the student debt crisis, uh, which, yeah, i like.
0: Well, it. I think the new policy is great, I'd have preferred to go even bigger, cancel 50K, cancel all of it, eliminate interest forever on all the loans. I'd prefer universal free college, but this is far more than any other administration has ever done to make college more accessible, um, to alleviate this debt crisis that, that we have been developing for the past 20 years or so. So I, I definitely applaud the administration for that. I, I understand, or let me put it another way, I've heard all the arguments against loan forgiveness and I don't find them very compelling the idea that it's not fair for some people to get their loans forgiven when other people have already paid, that doesn't hold a lot of water. That's like saying it's not fair for people to get Social Security when people had to die in poverty before Social Security was implemented. Um, The argument that we are transferring the debt from people who went to college to people who didn't go to college is not really true either. I have student debt, but also I'm a taxpayer. So to the extent that taxpayers are paying for it, I will be paying for some of my own cancellation. And here's the, the really important thing. At one point in time, We decided as a society to provide free education, kindergarten through 12th grade, because that was what most people needed for social mobility and college was considered kind of a a luxury well Times have changed. And today, what most people need for social mobility is some kind of a college degree. And our commitment to pay for that as a society has to change along with the times.
1: Not just a college degree, like there's a lot of jobs, I mean, particularly, like, obviously, the legal and medical professions require advanced degrees. But you know, you're seeing just in a, you know, up until, up until the great, uh, the great, whatever it is. Uh, the Great Quitting of Jobs. What do they call that again? The great Resignation. <laughs> great Resignation. That was the one, yeah. Uh, that, I love, between that and quiet quitting, I'm loving all this, like, look at these workers valuing themselves. Ugh, society's falling apart. Um, up until that point in time, like, competition for jobs, So, associate, like, I see jobs in publishing that were, like, master's degree preferred. And let me tell you something about the publishing industry, unless it's changed in the six years I've been out of it. Uh, you're starting at like 40K, like a master's degree for that, you know, and 40K is, that's being generous. I'm sure there's a lot of people in publishing right now who are not happy with me for saying that I started at 28K. So, right. um, uh, and all that to say that, like, that, that uh, like, you know, we exactly, we made it a, a requirement uh, for so much of society rather than, than an option or, or a luxury thing. Uh, Robert George from Bloomberg News, go ahead. You had your hand.
4: Thank <laughs> <laughs> you. Um, I, I am. Um, I, I'm somewhat in the middle um, on on this. Uh, I I am um, sensitive to the argument that. Despite what you just said, uh, in terms of that 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 actually a college degree has now become almost the equivalent of what uh, a high school uh, diploma was uh, decades ago in terms of being entry level. the 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 um, uh, the, the the fact is that um, uh, the majority of um, American adults um, did not go to um, did not go to college and they 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 manage to have some reasonable occupations they are they manage to forge um, middle class um, a middle class life in terms of raising family um, and, and so forth and they and they're, and they're not going to college so the the argument that um, this is something of a it, 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 that the, the that the section of the country um, that this benefits the most um, are those who um, are um, in the in the higher in the higher income bracket. I mean, I think that's a I think that is a I think that is a I think that is a fair point, and and I think it is something that it, that, that 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 may resonate you know in the next in the next few weeks in terms of um people arguing that um, that biden is um is giving is is giving a handout to 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 that some of the people that are going to that are actually going to benefit from this the most are those who are are wealthy that said it is still going to it is still it is definitely going to benefit um uh, those uh who um made some unfortunate choices in terms of how they got their how they got their loans how those loans were how those loans were structured and if, and that they feel that they're paddling they're paddling water in terms of uh having um, um made payments for 15 nearly 20 years and they still and they're still owing so as i said i i, I, can see, just I can see both sides So I just want
1: to quickly, before we continue, Robert is right that it is a majority that did not go to college. Uh, But just so we have a a context on those numbers, uh, as of 2021, uh, 37.9% of uh, U.S. adults uh, with a college degree, which we've got, you know, so that's thirty-seven point nine percent of what three hundred and thirty million, something like that. Uh, so that's that, still, sorry, it's still that,
4: incredibly large number. Of adult, is that thirty-seven percent of, of adults or thirty-seven percent of all of, of all Americans? Uh, of adult
1: Americans. So, now, but okay, adult so. American would would legally define as people who are college graduates based off the fact that you usually graduate uh, over eighteen. Yeah. Uh, but you know, all that to say that like that's still a very large number. Ah. That's you know somewhere in the realm of like over. One hundred million mm-hmm. Americans with a co- with a college degree. Uh, go ahead, Dorian. You look like you had a, a thought.
0: Well, I I, I would, would also say we have to look at it generationally because what you need as a twenty two year old to succeed professionally is different from what you need as. A, 65 year old retiree to succeed professionally, you know. So when we talk about the percentage of Americans who have college degrees, I would suspect I mean, I haven't looked at the numbers, so I'll defer to people who have I would suspect that the percentage getting a college degree is significantly higher today than it was 20 years ago or 40 years ago.
4: That is true. That is true. That is uh, that, that,
0: that is, that, that is go ahead.
3: I think You also need to like define wealthy right? So, for example, like Uh, The middle class has shrunk significantly. So one of the things I did learn in my master's program, I'm still paying off despite the fact I graduated in 2009 with a public policy masters. Just gonna throw that out there for a second. One of our very good classes was about um, asset formation and wealth. And we talk about the general welfare state. You know, people often derogatorily talk about welfare, often targeting communities of color and lower income individuals. That is such a small fraction of the welfare state that we have as a nation. And so if you look at the welfare state, actually the bulk of those tax breaks go to some of upper middle class to some of the wealthiest Americans. So for example, I have no idea what you all pay in taxes, but I guarantee the top 10% or 5% of this country are paying a smaller portion of their taxes because of all the welfare breaks that we give to wealthy individuals. And so if we're thinking about formation of the middle class, I don't think this is some unfortunate decision. These are tough decisions to make. Do I wanna go to college and can I afford it? And the only option is, These highly um, produced, benefiting um, legal and sorry financial institution loans, where you can't get lower percentages than this, you can only qualify for a certain percentage of actual federal grant dollars. And so, I feel like it's a um, a a huge choice for any young person going to college. Do I want to go to college and I have to take out loans, or do I not? Um, Because I want to enter a more middle class lifestyle, or I want to be able to have um, earning potential in the future. And so. I don't think this is like the wealthy are getting this huge break. I'm sure there's some families that could have paid off their debt over time. But at what point do we stop paying on the interest that's only ballooning these other institutions that actually have no value to (laughs) that interest has no value to the day to day other than people making money and the general welfare state as a whole needs to be rebranded as something where we're giving people with tons of money, huge welfare (laughs) and very little to the middle class and down. So um, yeah, I mean, I'm I'm pro this uh, kind of uh, to Dorian's point. I think we could have even gone further, Um, but I feel like this is a huge step, Um, and it starts making us look at our financial institutions and our processes that disproportionately create a huge chasm from the rich and the poor. And And Of course, uh, just want to quickly say because Alexis brought it up,
1: I just want to Alexis brought it up about what we all pay in taxes. Uh, I just want to send a quick note out to the listeners. I just send a note to the IRS every year that says I'll get you next year, and it never come up. So that's my advice to you, Robert. Go I, ahead.
4: No, I will, I will just I will just say this though that um, uh, first of all, you know, Dor- Dorian's point was exactly right. You know that, that you know there are more, that, that, even though um, the the, uh, the overall number of American adults um, did not go to college. Uh, there's a larger percentage of them that have uh, are going to college now. And have been going to college over the last few years, as opposed to 20 and 30 and 40, 40 years ago. Um, that is true. However, uh, one of the problems, one of the reasons why this has become a growing problem in in that 30 or 40 year period, is that um, the federal government has gotten more and more involved as the years have gone by in the in the loan. In the loan making um, pro- um, pro- process, at one point it would be that um, a bank would um, would would uh, make a low interest loan to a family whose child or children um, are going are going to college. Then later on the. Uh, uh, the federal government act, then the federal government sometimes acted as a backstop on some of those loans, but then they actually got kind of got into the loan making process um, um, th- th- themselves. And what often happens with um, with 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 government programs is the more the, uh, the the more the federal government gets involved in the process, the more it, the, the more expensive it gets. And oh, by the way, on the um, college side mm-hmm. of it. Once they realize, once the colleges realize that the federal government is invo- is is getting more and more involved in these, it becomes easier for them to increase increase tuition. So the um, the, the the actual the actual cost the actual costs increase as well. And oh by the way, um, where is a lot of that extra money going to? Not necessarily to uh, professor salary, but to um, mid-level administrators. So the, uh. there, this this. This becomes a. This becomes something of a. I, I want this becomes something of a multi-level scam between both the colleges and the and the federal government itself. And in the middle, in the middle.
1: Your debt, all of that's right. I'm going to push back on where the money goes. I don't know this for a fact, but I would bet, knowing what I know about some colleges, that money is going towards buying up all the houses near the college.
4: Oh, well, that's, <laughs> that's what, thank you. That's uh, to too. <laughs> Hail I, Columbia. Hail I Columbia. I would
1: bet that. Uh, Megan, your thoughts here uh, on, on a good policy. Uh, emphasis on good.
2: <laughs> yeah, it's a good policy. It is. I agree with Dorian. We could have gone far, but you know what? This is a step right direction and we all know you can't just fix things with one like swoop you know that we have a foundation now we can start building steps and we can start fixing the whole problem because the whole system is completely full of shit now i come from republican parents and me and my brothers are all liberals now right isn't that fun now i we're are still waiting for my dad to just have his big coming out as a libertarian, um, but it hasn't happened yet. You know, he still identifies as a Republican. That's cute. I'm
4: coming now, out. I want the world to
3: know.
2: <laughs> yeah, he he I, will. I'm a, I'm
4: libertarian dad. I'm coming out.
2: Love it. I love it. I want that recording. And when he does that, I would play that and balloons would just be popping out from where I put. Po- it's amazing that the balloons are still intact. It was really that's solid. That's solid craftsmanship. But, um, but to get back to, I guess, what I was trying to say is that um, because my parents don't, they have a healthy mistrust of the government and always have. So the deal in our household, and because I don't, I, I'm, I'm the person that doesn't have debt. I don't have any student loans. I've paid them off. The deal in our house was that we would go to community college for the first two years because it's like you're getting liberal college education those first two years. Stop letting everybody take your money. Cool. So they paid for those first two years. Then I went to city college right? So my loans at the end of this was $10,000. That's funny. That's the number right there. Now I've paid that off. I don't get anything, but I don't care because it's about caring about other people and putting, putting like, guys, I'm not going to get ahead by making a big fuss. Where, what, is there going to be a bag of money? on my doorstep because I paid shit off. I have so many friends who haven't been paying for years. Yeah, does that piss me off? Not to the point that I'm going to lose sleep. You know, we're all going to lose, we're all in debt for something. Um, And and we have so many different parts of the system that need to be like fixed because this is, has this is a crisis, that's what it is.
1: Well, I think and to that point, like the $10,000 number got all the headlines, but these these caps on on interest rates and caps, on spending, that is a that's that is the that should, in my mind, get more of the attention just because like that is that is a a good example of, you know, like when people talk about wanting like moderate solutions, I think they usually mean like people think that that means like uh, just, you know, talk about it once and then let a private company handle it. like that's a good example of sort of like. Of what has always made Joe Biden at his best, and we'll talk about this in a moment, like an appealing leader. Like he, he's pretty smart at finding, like, all right, how can I take the moral principles of this stand? Find a policy that, you know, everyone can't agree on anything now because politics is broken. But in theory, like, I'll put it this way: the people I know who are the most against forgiveness. Have also been like, but I like those caps on those things. Like that's a way to stop a future crisis and like get things under control over the the next few decades and put us in a place where, you know, maybe people today are still, you know, there might be people today who like ten thousand is helpful, but I'm still in debt for a while. But you know, this can hopefully like reduce the amount of time that that we're in that situation. Um,
3: make it, make a going point in, of about the greater hope, like I, like I don't think I qualify for it. Um, and, but it's about the greater whole, right? If we're like, are we trying to have a community where we care about others? And like, we've gone so far from that. To Megan's point, she's still going to help because other people benefit and we all can kind of rise together. And I know that that sounds like really froofy, but like, honestly, I prefer to live in a community like that. Like this is one reason I've been in New York City for so many years, I feel like we have a sense of community. Um, and we just kind of in these very siloed positions where if it doesn't affect every single thing that matters to me, 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 me. Uh, that then it's not a good, uh, a good policy, but it gets away from the fact that we have these communities built across the country. And that was the whole point of building this democratic experiment of the United States. And so like, I think this is actually back on track with how we provide for our people, you know?
0: And just to piggyback on Alexis's point, because I think that's a really important one. There's this idea some people have that they shouldn't have to pay for somebody else's college degree because it has no effect on them, but that's not true. It can have a direct effect on you. If you want a doctor in your community, that person has to go to school. If you want a house to live in or an apartment, you're going to need an architect, you're going to need an engineer to construct that building, right? So other people's education does have a direct impact on the lives we lead every single day, and it can really better our communities to have a more educated public.
1: I also think, just from a practical standpoint, piggybacking off of Dorian, piggybacking off of Alexis, who of course was piggybacking off of, Ma- of Megan. Um, you know, from a practical standpoint, uh, like you know, I, I, my wife and I will joke that like we are to the left for two reasons. Like, sure, it's our principles and morals, and also it's like, can't someone else deal with these problems? Can't I just pay the government to handle it? Uh, and I think about, you know, to the point about public schools. Like, no, I, you know, I don't have kids. I am not using currently the New York City public school system. I went through the calendar year 2020 and 2021 seeing what happens when a group of, of kids, you know, like don't have that occupation during the day, don't have some place to go as much as it is good for them, like, you know, to develop mentally and like an important to get a high school degree. Like also it's like, you know, when kids don't have things going on, like they get into trouble and like, that's not good either. Uh, you know, and I look at this situation and as much as like, you know, exactly. It doesn't affect me either. I, 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 you know, but, uh, I am in a position where I have to hire people and like, I would like to be not like, you know, and working for a city government, sometimes the salaries aren't as good as they are in the private sector and yeah. taking a major expense off of someone's back, you know, make, you know, can can make me as a potential hiring person, like that's a, then the conversation is had, where it's like, all right, maybe I could work for you because I don't have to worry about this bill every month. Um, I
3: have weather, I'm, but back on all the things, Tom, this is exactly please. right, like to Dorian's point too, this is helping fix systemic problems. Right now in the world, we have the highest gun violence prevent- gun violence deaths in the world. We have some of the lowest scores on STEM and education, especially for a economy, uh, the size we have. We uh, have terrible maternal health rates, maternal like, and maternal mortality. We are failing in all these categories because of our education and because of the way we're training up our people. And so if we can cut down some of those barriers to success, like Dorian's saying, We can actually have a thriving economy that will benefit everyone and will actually raise healthy babies, which will help children have opportunities beyond, you know, elementary school. And so I think this really is like getting at one piece of this kind of systemic breakdown. But I I like it from that perspective a lot, like what does for the individual. I like the fact that it is investing in getting people educated.
1: And to every heartless CEO out there, you know what a well-educated uh, uh, workforce and, and country is still going to do? Spend a lot of money on the crap that you're creating. They're got, they'll have it to spend. Uh, I want to talk about one last thing, real quick. So uh, it occurred to me this week. Uh, you know, we are still in the in the midst of uh, not as bad as it was, but a, a pandemic. You know, we've got a plague here in New York, uh, you know, in the Northeast, but particularly here in New York City, we've got this spotted fly uh, infestation. And then one other thing happened this week that makes me think maybe we're in the end times. Uh, a Democratic president is fighting really hard in an election year to, to win elections. Joe Biden's got a little pep back in his step out there. Uh, that has never happened in my lifetime. Normally, it seems like uh, the midterm first midterm election is when. Bill Clinton and Barack Obama were like, all right, I'm going to take off. Good luck. Um, You know, but Joe Biden is out there making a fight, making, you know, like, and we saw a little inkling of it right in the press conference where he announced the student loan, uh, the student loan plan when he was questioned if, you know, uh, about by a reporter, you know, is this unfair to people who paid off their debts? And he quickly turned it around and talked about how unfair it was. For uh, billionaires to get bailouts from the Trump administration, and through you know, you know, bailouts from both both Democratic and Republican administrations. Actually,
4: Tom, what do you say? What
1: Please fact check me. <laughs>
4: I'm fact check. I'm going to fact check you. Um, how? F- how fair was it? Um, how fair was it that uh, the, the the wealthy the wealthy got a huge tax cut um, under under uh, under Donald right, Donald? So how was fair was that? And yes, then it was later on, it was the it was the web it was the uh, it was the it was the uh, the White House Twitter feed though that this, that went after uh, people criticizing the student loan um, decision um, by focusing on uh, the the PPP loans, which I personally don't think is a really legitimate argument, but I think it, it's it's it is it is it does show the um, the rambunctious feistiness of the fighting
1: uh, spirit yeah and not I don't know that she did it but not a coincidence that NJ Gov's Megan Coyne just started working uh and the social media feeds for the <laughs> White House um so what do we think about that like he's you know and he went out on the campaign trail I believe it was uh for the Baltimore or the rather the Maryland governor's race where He referred to MAGA Republicans as semi-fascist, which I, of course, was offended because I don't think it's semi at all. (laughs) (laughs) Uh, But uh, thoughts, Joe Biden, like, you know, and he's, you know, you've got like Twitter likes him, Twitter left likes him this week. He's attacking people. He's throwing haymakers. This is a thing that a lot of people, you know, like because policy wise, he's always been a little bit more moderate because he was a a a creature of a senate in a time where the senate worked together he had a lot of good relationships with republicans uh it is easy to forget that you know it is prime on the stump joe biden was pretty like a a a democrat bully like they're normally democrats would be like no let's all be friends and he was the one out there single-handedly ending rudy giuliani's elected office career when he made the noun of urban 911 joke uh, you know, while Democrats were like, "Well, I guess Obama's good, but I don't know if we should support him for re-election," he went out with the "General Motors is alive and Osama bin Laden is dead" uh, catchphrase. Uh, uh, th- this gentleman, who is older, uh, <laughs> has a little pep in his step. And uh, thoughts uh, on on Joe Biden here, you know, like. Uh, suddenly alive, suddenly fighting. His approval rating has skyrocketed all the way to 44%, uh, which in modern presidential politics is good. <laughs> like, uh, thoughts on, on, you know, is Biden, you know, like, are we in the the, the biden sense here, uh, you know, for, for President Joe?
2: <laughs> My God, what a term.
1: Megan, go ahead. You're used to it. Yeah,
2: uh, you know what? I'm so happy. I'm so happy he showed up. He's here. But I don't, it's, you know, it's like, okay, He couldn't come and fight it. He couldn't, like, uh, he had to kind of wait this out. Like you were saying, he comes from the past. He comes from that world where he's gonna be like reaching across the aisle and trying, so he tried doing that. He tried doing that, like he, and and that didn't work. So now he's flipping it, but don't we usually see like after the midterms, the president deciding that they're gonna be president, you know? So it's like, if anything, he's kind of coming in a little bit earlier.
1: Yeah. Well, I think, I think, and uh, this is, he's almost treating his midterm election like a re election, uh, which is what I've always thought presidents should do, but they generally don't. Uh, And maybe it wouldn't make a difference in the end. Who knows? But, you know, uh, Robert, you've been quick to note in the past that uh, only two instances in the modern cycle that we can think of where presidents have done well in the midterms, uh, which was uh, when again.
4: Um, That is, that's correct. So, Uh, the, the Democrats did pretty well in uh, in um, Bill Clinton's second midterm in uh, in 2000. Excuse me, in uh, 1998, uh, and that was because uh, at the time the uh, the the Republicans were 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 doing were pushing impeachment, and the, the whole impeachment hearings had had, had been going on. Um, my um, um, my my recently former boss at that time in 1998, uh, Newt Gingrich was predicting that uh, the republicans were going to um, pick up somewhere between, between another uh, 10 and 20 seats um, when they, they already held when they already held the house when when actually held the house and the senate what actually ended up happening was that um, democrats um, ended up gaining 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 5 seats and it was uh, clearly a um, a rebuke to the republicans on the uh, on the on the, uh, on the impeachment front uh, on the other hand, Republicans still went ahead uh, post-election and impeached um, impeached um, um, Bill Clinton um, regardless. Uh, the other time was in, in 2002, and th- th- then with um, uh, in the White House uh, is uh, George George W. Bush. Uh, the the democ the, the, the Democrats actually uh, held the Senate it was another 5050 it was another 5050 Senate um, actually excuse me it was a 51 49 um, Senate uh, with it, with the Democrats holding it um, Republicans uh, Republicans held uh, held the house but Republicans ended up doing very very well uh, because national security was the issue in the post in a post 911 uh, post 911 election so those Those are really the only two times that the party that has held the White House has actually gained seats um, in the um, in the in the midterms. And we're going to we're going to. And when we say gained seats, we're talking specifically in the House.
1: Yeah, well, and to that point, so the precedent uh, that is set, usually the president's party does pretty badly. I still think it is probably the Republicans election to lose. But regardless, when the president's party has done well, it has been after some unprecedented events. And I would certainly say we are living after some unprecedented events. By the way, Robert, did you see that tweet uh, Callista Gingrich put out a few weeks ago when she was sick? Uh, of her loving husband Newt wearing a, a doctor's jacket next to her and talking about what how what a good caretaker it managed to both be adorable and upsetting all at once. Uh, take a look; I, it's, it's weird. I will I will
4: agree with it, and I'm not going to say anything
1: more. On that. <laughs> Fair enough, uh, Dorian. Thoughts? Uh, you know, particularly from the Midwest, where, where elections are, where presidential elections only matter in your part of the world. They don't matter out here on uh, fighting Joe Biden.
0: Yeah. Well, I've been skeptical of the low poll numbers for a while. I I think there's an issue with how those questions are asked. You know, you, you call me three weeks ago and say, what do you think of Joe Biden's job performance? Well, I don't love it. I think he could be doing a better job in a variety of ways. But that doesn't mean I'm going to throw democracy out the window and vote for a fascist in the next election instead, right? So I think those have been a little misleading And uh, we're seeing them come back up, obviously, as a result of loan forgiveness. But I'm not as worried about Biden or about the Democrats in the midterms as, as some other people are. It is great to see a president show some passion for something that they believe in. And I think there is this tendency among Washington consultants and White House officials to be very cautious, and that is understandable, and calculate the movements and the statements of a president to avoid offending large numbers of people, not in the Trump administration, but before that. But I think that can be wrong because people like to see some fight. People respond to some fight. And I think that's what we're seeing people responding to positively right now.
1: Yeah. Yeah. I think Joe
4: I, Biden, because he fights.
1: I would say very fights. quickly in terms of the polling stuff, it's also worth noting that like you know uh uh dis- like there's always a difference between i think it's like the difference between not approving something and like strongly disapproving something and they usually bang like yeah i'll love it but you know like i'll vote for them is is considered disapproval as much as i hate him you know he's running a child molester ring under my local pizza hut uh <laughs> the spotted lantern flies are his spies uh alexis thoughts on 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 uh on the rebirth of a 79 year old man.
3: Well, yeah, I, <laughs> He's I mean, very old. I'm, I'm really happy to see it. I, you know, For full transparency, I'm an Obama Biden alum. However, I will say uh, finding myself in more progressive territory over the last many, many years and concern myself that I've had been frustrated um, by the lack of urgency and the lack of this moment in time where we have uh, had the majority to push some things through. Like I, I wanted to see more urgency. I wanted to see tackling some of these big problems uh, that we elected him to do in 2020. I'm very heartened to see this. Um, I think that if you're not gonna act in this moment in time, like after mass shootings in New Balde and Buffalo, the overturning of Roe v. Wade, I mean, if you're not gonna throw everything at the wall at this moment in time, I don't know what we're getting our elected officials to do. So I'm really happy to see this kind of like pep in the step, th- throw some things down the table. Um, I wanna see it go aggressively into this year because I feel like we have so many people who are suffering. Um, and so from my perspective, you know, there can't be enough on gun violence prevention. There can't be enough on having, you know, opportunities, economic opportunities for people who have disproportionately not had economic opportunities. So I'm I'm heartened to see this moment in time. I think we, I want to even go further and I'd like other leaders to follow the lead <laughs> and say like, I'm gonna really throw down my home state. I mean, you know, as we're seeing this one heinous law after another going after, you know, people of color, women, et cetera. Like, I hope that they follow the lead here a little bit of the presidency to say, you know what? I am gonna do some scary things even if it means maybe I'm losing my seat. I don't have a lot in common with Liz Cheney, uh, uh, probably very, very, very little. Um, but seeing someone throw down uh, and even losing their seat because of it. I mean, I think that's what you're elected to do is to represent your constituents. And I feel like Biden started to pick up the mantle of the people who elected him.
1: Yeah, I've only always liked Liz Cheney mainly because my father also shot his best friend in the face and got away with it, uh, his yeah. best friend, former mayor Abe Beam. Uh, all right, uh, uh, we're going to leave it there. Wonderful conversation. Thank you so much for being with us uh, this week. Megan O'Malley, where can folks find you online uh, or find a, you know shows you're up to, et cetera?
2: Oh, you can find me on the Instagram and the Twitter at O'Malls. That's M-E-G-S-O-M-A-L-L-S. Thank you so much for asking.
1: Oh, thank you for, for answering. Um, that's uncomfortable. Anyway, Dorian, <laughs> where can folks find uh, more of your work, follow you for your opinions, et cetera?
0: Well, thanks for having me. And if people want to follow me, they can find me on Twitter, Dorian Davis. Excellent.
1: Alexis, where can folks uh, find out what you're up to next, be it... Uh, uh, political strategy, theater, whatever. <laughs>
3: um, well, I'm also a hype person for Megan O'Males, Um so I follow her comedic comedic work as well, so I can vouch for that. Um, you can find me at Alexis Confer uh, on Instagram, et cetera. Um, yeah, and I'm, I'm happy to be here today. To thank you for allowing me to be in this presence.
1: Oh, glad to have you in this presence. Robert, uh, where can folks find you and, and more of your works? Uh, you, can, uh, you can... All your works.
4: <laughs> uh, on the on Twitter at uh, Rob George, uh, where you can um, you can come for the cogent uh, political analysis and uh, and stay for the really bad puns, or vice versa. Uh, you can also find me on the, the Instagrams at uh, Rob George twenty nine, where you uh, may find also find where I'm doing um, stand up um, here and there as well. So uh, that's that's it for me. Thank you
1: very much, Robert. Thank you again, panel. Uh, And uh, I'm Tom Brennan. You can find me on Twitter at Brennanator, on Instagram at Brennanatorgram. Uh, Thanks to my buddy, Ned Thorne, for helping me put these together every week. And thank you to Joanne Harris for doing our show, Theme Music. We will be back in two weeks. And at that point, I may have a sign-off line. Bye.